It's time for InsureTalk with insurance industry tech geek and Guidewire chief evangelist, Laura Drabik. In this podcast series, we don't just talk about innovative ideas in PNC insurance. We talk with industry trailblazers about the big ideas they made happen and how they did it. If you're looking for insights on the trends and technologies reshaping the industry, an all-new InsureTalk starts now. Welcome to InsureTalk. My name is Laura Drabek, and I'm the Chief Evangelist at Guidewire. In this episode, I have the privilege of interviewing Bob Reveal, partner at Ernst & Young. Bob has over 30 years of experience in the digital and tech transformation space. His focus over the past decade has been on platform modernization with the lens of addressing the digital experience. The focus of today's conversation will be on the rise of alternative distribution methods in the market and how the incredible growth of InsureTech has enabled this evolving market. Hello, Bob. Thank you for joining my podcast. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me on. Tell our listeners about EY and your role there. I'm a partner at EY. I've been here for almost 13 years now based in Dallas, Texas. My role, as you mentioned, is to help our clients on their digital journeys, which includes technology, modernizations, and upfront customer experience. EY certainly has a, a large brand in the marketplace, but specifically for insurance and the insurance consulting space, we've been a leader there for quite some time. As a matter of fact, we were recently ranked number one by HFS analyst as a global insurance consulting provider. And this was really driven by two things, our innovation and platform capabilities, helping our clients launch new digital insurance products into the market, improving customer, partner, even associate or employee experiences, digitizing operations, and helping to progressively modernize technology platforms. And those are common challenges that are present in insurance, but also across many industries today. Hey, Bob, the protection gap or the gap between the amount of insurance that is economically and socially beneficial for policyholders and the amount of coverage that is actually purchased is getting wider. Swiss Re reports that the gap has doubled over the last 20 years. What are some of the root causes widening this gap? Yeah, I think this is at the highest level caused by a handful of factors, rapid changes inside a society itself, rapid changes to the economics, other factors such as climate change and things like that. Certainly, this has all been accelerated in some cases by the recent pandemic, but many of these trends have been present taking place over the, the last decade, if not longer. I would say it's also compounded a bit by the risk-averse nature that insurance companies tend to have towards new innovative products. And maybe another factor is the decelerating cost for overall distribution. This is dropping dramatically, and it's driven a lot by technology. So what can be done by the carriers going forward? Educating society and governments around this changing risk that's out there, climate being an easy example to point to. Proactively looking to match the coverages towards the individuals out there. And how do you do that? You do that with a better understanding of data and your customers that exist out there. And maybe lastly, and probably most critical for the insurance companies is to find a way to instill a culture of innovation. Historically, this has not been the case, then insurance is an industry that's worked really well over the past hundred years. A lot of things are going to change over the next 
10 years and insurance companies will have to change accordingly. If you think about the successful insurers of the future, they're going to have to find a way to leverage a diverse set of ideas, which allow for fast and cost-effective experimentation in the markets in a launch and learn type of model. And for those that are able to do that, they have found themselves a competitive advantage. For those that aren't able to do that, they have a competitive threat ahead of them. Yeah, well said. So end consumers oftentimes view insurance offerings as complicated, maybe expensive, and maybe a little annoying to purchase, whereas insurers are challenged by regulations, lack of real-time data, and also insight. There's also enormous distribution costs, something that you also addressed a little earlier. Are we seeing a fundamental weakness, Bob, in the business model of the insurance industry, an inability to effectively match insurance supply with customer demand? And if so, what do you recommend insurers do to better align supply with demand? Insurance companies in the industry is not known historically for providing world-class customer experience. And let's be honest, at the end of the day, individuals and companies, nobody really likes to spend their hard-earned money on insurance to begin with. It's kind of a necessary evil. But that being said, there's an opportunity out there for insurers who can make insurance easier to consume and buy, make it available when needed, particularly the moments that matter to individuals or companies, considers the overall profile of a customer and understands the journey that they're on. So moving away from a transaction to a relationship. And this is true whether you're talking about property and casualty life across the financial wellness lenses, traverse across those, move from one realm to the other as the customer's journey changes over time. So insurers are going to need to find a way to rethink their traditional approaches to distribution. They're definitely going to need to think outside the four walls, be willing to take targeted risk in the market to trial new products to try to get ahead of the curve versus be a, a lagger, and then ultimately be willing to partner an ecosystem in ways that probably seem counterintuitive to the way that they historically have done business. Makes sense. Thank you. So a new way to distribute insurance, and one of my favorite new ways is via embedded insurance. Just to make sure everyone's on the same page that's listening, embedded insurance is coverage that's offered with the purchase of third-party products or services. So it's the travel insurance offered when you book a Norwegian cruise, the Apple warranty for your iPhone, or auto coverage to go with that new EV or Tesla. So according to McKinsey, up to 25% of all personal lines premiums could be generated through embedded insurance ecosystems by 2030. Bob, what benefits does an embedded insurance model offer carriers? It's a channel for obviously growing premium over time, but maybe most importantly, it's a channel to improve the customer and partner experience. For those not prepared, it's a growing and significant threat to their existing book of business, especially if you take an example like personal auto lines with what Tesla is doing and what GM is doing and has announced that they will do. Certainly, a competitive threat to the existing book of business. Maybe the question should be asked is what should insurers do to be ready? There's multiple ways to participate in this new model and each insurer needs to decide where they're going to land. There will be an owner of a marketplace, if you will, that has significant ties to the customer journey and the customer ownership. And then there will be nodes on the marketplace that are participants from an insurance or product or services capability that get pulled in. There's also opportunities for some companies to 
provide horizontal services. And if you look at insurance, it might be something like risk rating that can be provided by a company that's very good at that across marketplaces. So there's several options, certainly more than the ones I listed, but it will be important for insurers to think about when and how they want to play in those models. If you want to be a participant, you must possess a platform that allows for engagement, whether that be through partnership models, a superior technology platform, a superior digital platform, a streamlined and digital operations environment so that you can interact with customers in their desired fashion and the marketplace's owner's desired fashion as well. And this last item I'll mention is participants will need to possess the ability to partner in a symbiotic way, which benefits not only both sides of the partnership, but most importantly, the end customer as well. It's a two-way street, not a one-way street. It is a two-way street. You're right. So let's look at the other side of that street then. How about the benefits that an embedded model offer and consumers? Yeah, there could and will be many. And I think the consumer will be the biggest winner when this model plays out. At the highest level, obviously, you know, much better customer experience. So if you think about the Tesla experience as an example, or what Rivian is striving to provide, that's quite different than the experience you get. As an example, when you walk into most dealerships today, there will also be coverages that consider and meet your needs contextually, meaning designed specifically for you and not designed for the masses. And then as your needs change from either a risk protection or financial protection perspective, the coverages will change and the services provided will change. And how is that done? It's done because we're going to have more access to data, access to better data, access to real-time data that allows us to make those decisions. And one other point to consider is when you think about this, we believe that an insurer is more likely to become a participant on another's marketplace than a marketplace owner itself. And that will be interesting, but you can begin to see that playing out a little bit in the auto space, right? Where GM or a Tesla kind of owns the ultimate customer relationship and they're pulling in services, whether they be some of their own you know, capabilities or outside capabilities into that marketplace, if you will. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I also wanted to highlight a point that you made access to more data, better data and real time data. That is really what is at the crux of this of being able to deliver personalized coverage as a consumer's needs change throughout their lifetime. Well said. Awesome. Great information. When we come back after this short break, we'll continue our conversation with Bob Reveal. Digging Insure Talk with Laura Drabik. Be sure to subscribe on Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, rate the show on Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing. Now, let's get back to the show. And welcome back to Insure Talk. This is Laura Drabik, and I'm talking to Bob Reveal, partner at Ernst & Young. Bob, by 2028, it's estimated that half of the American workforce are going to be freelancers or part of the gig economy. So they're going to need a form of insurance that seamlessly embeds into their freelancing or gig opportunities. How are you seeing large companies like Uber, Lyft, and Amazon working with insurers to deliver this new embedded experience? I'll put a caveat on my response. The governments have the ability to modify the views over time on what I'm about to say on what is or is not a gig worker. And so I will answer the question with the current regulations in mind, which does point to a significant part of the economy being a gig economy. I think if you take someone like Uber or Lyft, there are different personas that they are dealing with and are going to have to deal with. On one end, you have an established worker who's just doing this for extra crash on the side, right? 
right? Kind of a side hustle, so to speak. They probably have an existing form of insurance, but their coverages don't cover some of the things around rideshare and delivery coverages that they're going to need. On the other end of the spectrum, you have a worker who is new to the job market. Could be a first or second job. They're doing this nearly full time. They have no credit or driving history. Their needs are very different. So I think the way we see this playing out for a lot of the companies, and again, this goes back to data, is they will offer some form of basic coverage to get started and then modify those coverages and premiums over time based on usage and consumption data because they will know more about you and they can better reflect your personal risk to the premiums. Now, I think when you look at that statement, some people will say, ah, they're going to penalize me for bad behaviors, which is potentially true, but they also have the ability to incense you on premium reductions for good behavior. And so you're aligning the risk profiles to the risk premiums in that case. I think the interesting question on this one as well will be, if you take someone like Uber, are they going to roll this out as an insurance captive, or is it going to be a streamlined and better model of integrating with a third-party insurer, which is often the model they have today, but it's it's kind of broken and it doesn't work very well. So which of those models will win in the end of the day? Our belief is it'll be a bit of a bifurcated model, depending on the industry we're talking about, the size of the players. And so it'll be a mixed model going forward. I was a little surprised, but not overly surprised to learn that fully embedded insurance and property and casualty is actually very small today. And it only represents 2% of distribution worldwide. Over the next five years, what is your prediction on its growth and what will power that growth? You know, without having a magical crystal ball, our view is the expansion will be meaningful and meaningful, meaning that many insurers will have to pay attention to this or they will lose market share. They'll lose their GWP. I think the poster child would be someone like Tesla or GM. They've been very public about where they want to take this. And you can envision some of the next steps they may want to take outside of what they've announced publicly. But we also believe outside of the auto OEM example that this is going to expand across other personal and commercial lines, expanded to adjacent industries such as health, other manufacturing OEMs, and even into spaces such as travel. And so I think right now the auto OEMs are getting a lot of the press, but in our conversations in these other adjacent industries, there's a lot of interest and some early stage efforts to do similar. So we think it's going to be significant. Ultimately, it's all about owning that customer experience, providing a better customer experience, and ultimately taking a larger share of wallet. When I talk with insurers, they often throw around the term digital, and I'm sure they do it to you. And I mean, it's everything and the kitchen sink and how they want to leverage digital to better serve their stakeholders like policyholders and agents. Bob, can you help us define the term digital in a way that is relevant for insurers and maybe perhaps the business side of the insurance carrier? The challenge is not just limited to insurance. We see this across most industries. And maybe five years ago when the word digital was becoming and very popular and used a lot. There were some challenges in defining it. There are still some challenges today in defining it. I think our view, and we've been pretty consistent on this since day one, is to be digital includes providing a robust and delightful customer experience through whatever channel it is you're talking about, whether that be an online channel, whether that be through something like a chat bot, whether that be through a call center, whether that be through a personal interaction. That experience has to be delightful. Sitting behind that, you have automation and other advanced technology that streamlines the operational aspects that a customer doesn't care about or want to deal with. And then ultimately having access to data, the right data, the right real-time data.
data to produce insights that can go back to delighting the customer. I think that would be our definition. There are two examples I'll give you. One would be a fully digital experience where the end-to-end straight-through processing and operations and automated decisioning takes place. And to the end user, it's the easy button. I press it once, everything happens magically. You know, there's a variant of that that we think is real in the market and it's a viable option, which means doing that, but also having purposeful human touch points along the way. They're not touch points via human interaction because you haven't been able to automate the operations yet, but there are some examples where you might want to inject that into the customer journey along the way. You know, in the insurance space, it's probably going to gravitate towards that second model because of the agents in place. In some cases, there'll be a fully digital channel. Other cases, there'll be a hybrid digital agent channel. And I think that will be done with purpose in some cases. I Googled NeoInsure because I was bored. And this was the definition I got. NeoInsurers provide fully digitized insurance products to consumers or businesses exclusively through digital channels with end-to-end digital service delivery. Bob, examples of NeoInsurers that are really popular today are Root and Lemonade. How are NeoInsurers employing technology different than traditional insurers? And what lessons can we learn from them? I think our view would be that neo-insurers have built out platforms from day one with digital in mind, with customer experience in mind. And in a way, they have an unfair advantage by not having the legacy platform, the legacy operations, the legacy policies, the legacy complexity to deal with. So they build it out in a greenfield manner. At the heart of their success, though, they go back to this test and learn, launch and learn, innovate and learn type concept where they can get things out into the market quickly at a limited scale get feedback and adjust and move forward from there. Now, all that being said, I think the valuations on the insure techs are still through the roof a bit, but not many of these companies have found a sustainable model yet. And that is less based on their valuations currently, but more around their proven financial track record. So I think if you point this back to the legacy insurers, maybe a key lesson there is how do you emulate some of the positive elements of these companies? And we think one of them that will be important is the ability to launch a green field model and prove it out over time outside the four walls of the current enterprise and over time decide how best to migrate the portfolio over. And you may not even migrate the portfolio over. You might leave this as a self-contained unit or brand or suite of products that's done differently than how your legacy portfolio is handled. Great. Thanks, Bob. On the other side of this break, we'll continue the conversation. So don't go anywhere. Loving Insure Talk with Laura Drabik? For more expert insights and inspiration, subscribe to Laura's email newsletter at drabikdigest.com, your one-stop resource for Laura's latest blog posts, videos, podcasts, articles, and more. That's www.drabikdigest.com. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back. This is Insure Talk with Laura Drabik, where we're talking with Bob Reveal. So the total amount invested in InsureTech in 2021 was $15.8 billion, and that's more than the amount invested in 2019 and 2020. InsureTech ecosystems offer a powerful way for insurers to rapidly deploy amazing new capabilities. I believe that harnessing the power of an ecosystem approach requires a modern cloud-connected insurance 
platform like Guidewire, which is enabled by APIs. This obviously reduces the time and friction to getting these wonderful new value props deployed. Bob, what are your thoughts on how technology should empower ecosystems? Yeah, Laura, I would certainly agree with your views on this. I think if you look into the future, let's say maybe 2030, so seven, eight years out, our view is that, and this goes across industries, but specifically for insurance, that core systems and the ecosystem really evolved to a suite of APIs that are available in the cloud for consumption and available on a subscription-based model. And I think the key to this is a loosely coupled architecture, which is orchestrated by a very intelligent set of software that allows carriers to subscribe to these capabilities in an easy and cost-adaptable fashion. I think there will be challenges for some of the incumbent technology providers of these core systems or supporting systems because historically they grew out of an idea and then a lot of functionality got built around them and that additional functionality in a way becomes the stickiness they have to their carriers. And so we think the early winners will be those with a vision like ours of 2030 and knowing the need to get there and then having an easy uh, way to transition from the current architectures over to this new futuristic architecture. But ultimately, orchestrating and allowing for participation will be key technology enablers and allowing for the easy addition of new players into the ecosystem and new capabilities in a semi-real-time fashion that will enrich the experience of customers and also importantly reduce the potential biases in things like the existing rating models. Once again, better aligning coverage and premiums to the needs of the insured. We launched our InsureTech Incubator, the InsureTech Vanguards, late last year. And the goal, Bob, was to educate our customers on up-and-coming InsureTech value props, as well as we wanted to incubate select members into full-fledged partners with integrations to our solution. So how does EY stay connected to up-and-coming InsureTech value propositions? First of all, I would commend you on your approach. You know, we, we think that is a good approach, and I believe Guidewire is certainly a leader in this space when it comes to the ecosystem. At EY, we have a number of layers to stay connected as well. Firstly, I go back to our award-winning alliances and entrepreneurial programs. These allow us to get a look at many of these firms early on. Also, some of our alliance partners as a guide wire, right, will bring some of the partners in their ecosystem to the table as we're working for our clients. So that's certainly a foundational component. Inside of our insurance practice, we vet many of these insure techs. We have over 2,000 that we vetted in our InsureTech database alone. We do the same in banking for fintech and, and other industries as well. But what this does is it allows us to have a deeper double-click with these companies and also see trends and concentrations of focus. And lastly, where we see companies that we think are meaningful and valuable to our clients, we do a deep technical review of these capabilities and also pull them into our labs. And eventually, if we continue to like them, pull them into some of the solutions and capabilities that we take to market ourselves. Yeah, it sounds like we're pretty much in alignment there. Where in the insurance life cycle do you think InsureTech can provide insurers with the most benefit? These are no particular order, but to say number one is in launching new digital products into the market. What players out there, what ecosystem models allow you to do that quickly? I think a big one is around improving customer, employee, partner experiences. Obviously, there's a lot around digital operations. And also folks that are looking at modernizing technology are also very interested in these companies. Ultimately, are providers of new sets of data 
data. There's providers of concentration around analytics and insights. There are also things like vertical functions around actuarial space, underwriting claims, and finally, the new product, new business model that allows you to launch product lines or new partnerships in this new ecosystem model. It's, it's pretty varied, but there are certainly some areas that we see trending where you kind of see a cluster of focus. That makes perfect sense. So then how do you evaluate which insure tech value props will be well-received in the industry or have potential in Lyft and which just simply won't cut it? We have a vetting process. We call it our idea framework that allows us to look at insurance capabilities, the digital enablement that a given insure tech has created. We evaluate their market fit and most importantly, we assess their operational and financial stability. Ultimately, we produce a kind of a balanced scorecard that we use when thinking about who to bring into our ecosystem, but also when asked by our clients who they maybe should pay attention to. Important that you continuously refresh these views, and we do that because the market and the players are changing so frequently. And again, when we do see someone who's very interesting to us, we bring them into the labs, we do a deep dive, and again, where it makes sense, we then can offer that as part of our ecosystem of solutions into the market. I often get asked by organizations looking to build an ecosystem, where should they start? And my answer is always the same. You start at the business, understanding what pain points need to be solved or what opportunities need to be addressed and in what priority. How would you recommend an organization get started when building an ecosystem? So if historically you think about how firms have approached this, it started out with, you know, what is a company's purpose and having a business strategy that aligns to that purpose and then having a technology strategy that aligns to the business strategy and more recently with ecosystems and partnerships, having a strategy there that aligns to both the business and technology strategy. So you may say, what is new? Well, what's new is the technology strategy and the ecosystem strategy really are your business strategy. And these are the elements that are going to allow you to provide true differentiation in the market, truly getting to understand your customer and providing that delightful journey. And most companies are a long way away from doing that. We have bellwethers such as an Amazon or a Google or others that do it very well. But how do others get started? Any long journey starts with, you know, the first couple of steps and partnering with someone who's done this before can help you think through a different lens is important. This could be through someone like ourselves. It could also be through the right hires into the firm. And ultimately, it needs to be that for longer term sustainability, but also start small and grow over time. You can't build an ecosystem overnight. It will evolve as you innovate in the market. And maybe most importantly, they recognize up front. Most firms are experienced on executing on projects that start and stop. And you've either successful or not successful based on implementations in certain time periods and certain quality metrics and things like that. But what we're talking about here is a journey that never ends. You innovate, you market test, you course correct, you repeat, and you continue doing that. It's not a once and done. And that's an important mindset shift for many firms. Sage input. A little birdie told me that you grew up racing with Lance Armstrong. That is amazing. Well, your uh, research squad is top notch and they must have access to materials that predate the internet. So <laughs> congratulations on that. <laughs> well, I guess I don't need to ask you then what your favorite podcast is because clearly it's the forward hosted by Lance himself. Is it not? I do find the forward a very entertaining podcast and I, I follow it quite regularly because it aligns with one of my 
my passions, which has been for a long time and still is cycling, but also allows me to kind of stay connected from an insider's point of view for someone who's kind of been there, done that, and raced at the highest levels. So what's a fundamental lesson that you learned from your experience racing that you have applied successfully to your career? Some of the things I've taken away from my early days of competing in cycling or other sporting events is there's no I in team. So the team is always greater than the individual. You can always go farther and faster with the team. The trick is getting the team lined up and rallied to do that. From a cycling perspective specifically, they have three-week races that most folks have heard about, like Tour de France. And they also have one-day races that I competed at a long time ago. Very seldom in a race where it be a long three-week race or a one-day event? Do you see someone at the front from beginning to end? And so there are times when you're going to need food and beverages from the team car. There are times you're going to need a teammate to pull you back to the peloton after you've got dropped. And there are times when you'll return that favor. So very much a teaming approach to it. And maybe lastly, I would say as a racer, you lose way more than you win. That's hard to deal with. And as a company, you don't like to hear that, but it's true. Now, in your career, it's a long journey in their twists and turns along the way, good times and bad. So ultimately, what I've discovered is I probably don't remember all the projects I've delivered along the way. But what I do remember from day one, I remember the people and the relationships along the way and the individuals that did favors to me. And I've obviously tried to return that to others along the way. So if you're early in your career, I think that's a good takeaway because I think as you get down the road a bit, you realize how important those relationships are. Thank you very much for your time today and for your incredible insight on alternative distribution and also on some career lessons and advice. You've shown us it's not just about ideas, it's about making ideas happen. That's awesome. Thanks again. Tune in next time for an all-new episode of Insure Talk with Laura Drabik, brought to you by Guidewire, the platform PNC insurers trust to engage, innovate, and grow efficiently. For more information, visit guidewire.com.